Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning into the Consumer's Law Journal on AORPRA Law Talk Radio. Today is Tuesday, August 31st, 2010, and I'm your host, Nick Augustine. This show is produced by AORPRA Incorporated, a national law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We help manage our clients' business so they can spend more time practicing law. Today's guest is attorney Laura Urbic Kern. Attorney Laura Urbic Kern has more than 25 years experience representing domestic relations and family law clients with her team approach where Laura's practice is client-centered and she recognizes that this is your life, your decisions. Attorney Laura Urbic Kern is the principal of the law offices of Laura Urbic Kern located in DuPage County suburb of Elmhurst, Illinois. Attorney Kern received her law degree from California Western School of Law in San Diego and her Bachelor of Arts in Political Science from the College of St. Benedict in St. Joseph, Minnesota. Laura also studied International Legal Studies and Jurisprudence at the University of Salzburg in Austria. She is a Martindale Hubble BV rated lawyer and named as a leading lawyer uh, by the leading lawyer publication for the past six years and that is a, a distinction that only 5% of Illinois lawyers by practice area hold. For more information on Laura Kern's law office, you can visit www.lauracurn.com. Now, before we begin, we want to remind everyone that we do have two weekly Law Talk Radio shows. First, the Consumer's Law Journal, which airs every Tuesday, and second, the Lawyer's Toolbox, which airs on Thursday afternoons. Both Law Talk Radio shows air at 3 p.m. Central, which is also 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific Time. We do have a great show for you this afternoon, and we invite callers to send their questions either by email to info, which is I-N-F-O, at A-L-R-P-R-A.com, or also by calling in by dialing area code 917-889-9732 and pressing option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. The telephone number, again, is area code 917-889-9732 and option 1 for the queue. Now, all callers today, by the way, will receive uh, free admission to the Q3 Social Media Update 2010. It's a seminar that's going to be hosted by ALRPRA Incorporated and a few other uh, individuals, which will be held Wednesday, September 22nd in Chicago. And the regular price of admission is $25. Participants not located in the city of Chicago will be able to attend via webinar. By way of disclaimer, before we get going, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Results may vary and are based on your specific set of facts and location. You are encouraged to privately consult a professional and should be advised that the laws vary from state to state, as they could apply to comments made on this show. Comments made to callers by attorneys do not constitute an attorney-client or other relationship. All callers do remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA. Moving forward, having said all that, Laura, we want to thank you for being on the show today. How are you? I'm good, Nick. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, I'm uh, looking forward to having you talk a little bit about uh, family law, some of the updates uh, that have been going on in the practice area, and also to dispel some rumors that people might have there about family law and domestic relations being with all the different things it encompasses, and as well to dispel what uh, some people might, um, you know, have experienced uh, based on this set of circumstances might not be true of all. There are all sorts of different uh, styles, shapes, and uh, uh, mindsets of family law attorneys out there. That's right, Nick. Okay, well, let's just getting started. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you became interested and involved in practicing in domestic relations in DuPage? Well, I started out as a state's attorney in the, in the state's attorney's office, and I was in juvenile court. And I knew that I wanted to do something that was related to kids. I had, at that time, a couple kids of my own and went on to have three more. So working for the state's attorney wasn't going to be an option for me. So I uh, started doing family law uh, for an attorney in DuPage County. And I really liked uh, the aspect that I could really do something that might make a difference for families uh, around where I live. So what year, what year was that? Uh, that was, let's see, I graduated in law school in 1984. I was in the state's attorney's office from 85 to 87. Then I went to work for a gentleman for about nine months, and then I had twins. Then I started my law practice, and then I had another child. So at that time, I had five kids, and I have had my own practice basically since 1987, with the exception of a three-year period where I ran the family law division at a larger firm. 
I see. So you've seen a lot of changes uh, in the code over those years. A lot. Yeah, I think that that um, the the court system is not equipped to handle families in this day and age as well as it used to be able to because we've taken out the issue of fault, so we don't have to have fault anymore, so everybody's always mad at, at, at getting divorced if they're not the ones that wanted it. We have uh, focused on uh, much more on children than we ever have in the past and, and what's in their best interest in trying to figure out how you can make a plan for these families to go forward um, until those kids uh, are out of the house. Or in a case where there's no children, how do you get these two people separated and, and get their assets divided so they both are free of each other? What are some other challenges that are facing uh, the profession uh, right now? Well, I think, like I sound like a record, I think the economy is affecting a lot of things because people who in the past may have gotten divorced are not getting divorced now because they don't have the money. And the ones that are volatile, um, we're seeing a rise in domestic violence cases because of people just simply being unable to to manage two households. Um, with unemployment and everything else, it, it impacts everything. So business will continue to be steady, but uh, um, much slower than it, it, it used to be. Now, how do you help some of the individuals who call your office and um, know that they're experiencing uh, family law and domestic relations issues but necessarily can't afford to get divorced right now. Do you have people who call with that situation? And if so, what do you do to help them? Well, what, what I do is um, I personally will have people come in for an interview, and I charge them $200 for an interview, and they can stay as long as they want. And we'll explore all the different options that they might have because family law encompasses a lot of different things. You don't necessarily have to get divorced. You can get a, a post-nuptial agreement. You can get a uh, um, a legal separation, although most lawyers would recommend you not do a legal separation for a myriad of reasons. But the bottom line is that if at least if you spend the money to go see a lawyer and you can tell people what their options are, you empower them to make their own decisions for their future. So I think it's when someone comes in and they say, you know, I'm unemployed and I want to get divorced and I have these kids and uh, I have domestic violence issues and I have this, that, and the other thing, there are resources for people who are truly indigent, like uh, legal aid, Prairie State Legal Services, um, Chicago Legal Services. There's many of those. But the ones that fall in between, they can't afford the expensive lawyer and can't afford the... Um, or, or don't qualify for legal aid, those are the ones that we're seeing right now that we have to do uh, a lot more education on how to save money in a divorce case because every time a lawyer goes to court, someone's going to pay $1,000, and you don't need to go to court. There are so many things that can be worked out without having to go through that. So uh, in a lot of ways, I think I think our practices have swung more towards the counselor uh, um, attorney relationship, and I don't mean counselor like m like mental counselor. I mean counselor in in a, in a way of saying, look, here's your world. How are you going to live? If your husband dropped dead tomorrow and he didn't have insurance, how would you live? You have to walk through those steps and walk them through each of those steps. So uh, a lot of times people will say, you know what, I'm not going to get divorced. I di I just I have a client right now who just called for a consult, who I did a post-nuptial agreement for her 10 years ago. She did a legal separation five years later, and now she's getting divorced. But the bottom line is that for 10 years she hasn't had to worry about some of the things she would have had to worry about if that agreement was in place. Can you get, uh, without you know disclosing anything to an individual, can you give some examples? Of... Things that you are, that that are now taken care of that otherwise an individual might have had to worry about. What are some examples of those things? Well, as an example, like I mean, in her case, she you know she didn't know whether she was going to get divorced. She was concerned about how the money was being spent. She was worried about um, you know if if she left with these and had two little kids, how they would manage. So she wasn't ready to do it yet. So that was an option for her that ultimately she wound up getting divorced ten years later, but. 
for the last 10 years, she's had the security of a piece of paper that says, okay, I know I'll be okay when this is over. And you have to do a lot of planning with people. You have to educate them financially. Sometimes you'll have uh, clients that don't have any idea of how to even write a check. Then you'll have other clients that, that have all of the knowledge and the other, and the other side has none of it. And they, they, they're coming to you saying, well, how much do I disclose? Well, you disclose everything. You put it all on the table and you divide it up. It's a business decision when it comes to the money. So I think now, that the public about... kind of thinks that lawyers are, are overpriced and they're not worth the wa- their while. You know, in some cases that's true, but in a case where you're getting divorced, you want to at least know what are your rights, what you could expect, what's the procedure, because if you walk in there blind as a pro se and have no idea what you're doing and you just do your divorce, I guarantee you're going to be back in court fighting about something that you forgot to put in your papers. Because you weren't ready. Pardon? That makes, because you weren't ready, because you didn't know everything, right? Well, exactly, yeah. Now, when you talk about uh, some of the things people might come in and find out and uh, not having knowledge of where the assets are, and, you know, let's say one spouse uh, maybe thinks the other one is engaging in dissipation, um, do you ever have people who call in and uh, and you meet with who suspect that things are are going funny and they uh, will look into that? Um, do you on an investigative sense, or, or is that something that usually comes up when people are already aware that they want to separate or get divorced? Well, it can happen at any time, and I think you got to define what the word dissipation means. It means that marital money was used for a non-marital purpose not, that did not benefit the family. So a girlfriend, uh, lavish vacations, those kind of things. So if you find that there's dissipation, it depends on how how much tracing uh, that you have to do. A lot of uh, of the bigger cases, you're going to use a financial expert. You may use a value a pension valuator. Um, your basic mom and pop case, where you have a, a house and a pension and a couple kids and a couple small bank accounts and some cars, you're not going to engage in a lot of investigation because probably the amount of money that may or may not have been dissipated isn't going to be worth it. And if you have a dissipation case, well, let's say the guy, you can prove that the guy or the girl stole or used $1,000 of marital money for a non-marital purpose. The other spouse is going to get half of that back. Is it worth them to pay a lawyer to go in and argue for that $500, I would submit that it's not because it's too expensive. As part of an overall case, as part of a settlement, you could throw it in there. But, like, every case is different, Nick. I mean, nobody has the same set of facts. I talk to their friends and say, oh, you know, I, I got an extra 10000 because I found that he did this. And then the client comes in and says, well, I want 10000 because my husband did this. Well, exactly. there's a lot of fat, maybe factual differences. You don't know. So that, so you do see that a lot where someone, uh, word on the street is, uh, you know, Mary had this happen in her divorce. Can, can Joe get the same thing? Sure. And, and you get a lot of people who come in and, and say, you know, I, I want I want this for my settlement, and it's to- totally unrealistic. There is only so much money in the pot to be divided. There is only so much income that's coming into that family. And since you're taking a one family's and, and the income that was in that house and making it into two separate households, unless they're very wealthy, it's never going to be equal. So you want to try to do the best that you can, and the court tries to do the best that they can with what they've got. But everybody still has to live, too, and that's the part everyone forgets. Exactly. Now, before we take our first uh, short break, can you explain a little bit more? You talked a little bit about legal separation versus divorce. Can you define exactly what a legal separation is and why it may be of an advantage? Uh, A legal separation is where... um, you are setting up a support for children and for a spouse, and you aren't necessarily dividing up your property. You can divide up your property in a legal separation, but a legal separation at some point in time will end, and it will either end in a reconciliation or in a divorce. 
if it's going to end in a divorce, you're kind of doing the same thing twice. So we would tell you, my advice would be, go ahead, file for a divorce. If you think your marriage is going to work out, you can put your case on hold in my county up to a year. So if you can do that, you have all that time to work on your marriage, but you're still putting your rights at a point in time where you know the marriage was broken down. How often, how many of those cases do the people end up uh, dropping out and staying together? When they put it on, um, like, hold? Let's say they're trying, let's, yeah, let's say that they, uh, you know, work out a legal separation and they put the divorce, uh, you know, on hold, let's say, for up to a year, like you indicated. Um, do you, have you had uh, experiences with several people who end up staying married? Well, first, yeah, sure. But first, those are two separate things. There's a legal separation. And there's filing the divorce and putting it on hold. My advice is to go on the filing the divorce and putting it on hold. A lot of people do reconcile because that actual being served with the divorce paper serves as like a wake-up call to say, look, I'm serious. And some of those people go on to reconcile. Some of those people do not. It just depends, again, on the case. Very good information. We'll be right back with Laura Urbick-Kern. Um, let's take a brief break for our first sponsor uh, advertisement and also want to tell callers if you have questions please dial 917-889-9732 again 917-889-9732 and option one for the caller queue when you need the right legal services to advance your creativity call the law office of nancy k ducharme attorney nancy k ducharme brings bring law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, internet law, and advertising law. You can find the Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. By clicking the Like button on the law firm's business page, you'll receive periodic blog updates with recent developments in the rapidly changing field of intellectual property law. Now back to the Consumer's Law Journal on Law Talk Radio. We are... Uh, talking with Laura Urbic Kern uh, of her office in Elmhurst, Illinois today. Um, Laura, we were just talking about some of the ways that the economy has affected uh, family and domestic uh, domestic relations litigants. Um, can you tell me some other aspects that maybe the things to help people from the statutory angle um, if if someone's seeking uh, to get divorced possibly and they don't know. If they've got money or let's say the, one of the parties has all the money and the other doesn't even know if there's money there, what are some uh, ways that the statute's set up to help people? Well, if, when you go through a uh, discovery process, which means that you send out information and you say, I would like answers to these questions, I would like documents that answer my inquiries, that's how you get it. If you can't get the money, if you can't get the information from the other side, the uh, courts allow you to subpoena that information from uh, employers or um, pensions or whoever else you need to subpoena it from. And there are ways for the court to enforce the um, production of those documents. And actually, you know, that's how cases get most expensive, is trying to get the, the, the picture on the table. And no matter what process you use, whether you use the litigation process, the mediation process, the collaborative law process, all of those require a complete disclosure. If you're going through court, you're signing affidavits saying, hey, here's everything I have and I don't have anymore. Uh, and if you turn up more stuff later, you use it against the other person. But it never makes sense, never makes sense to hide money because the first time they find that little $300 bank account that you had put aside, now everything's in play. What else did you lie about? And everyone's off to the races and they spend a lot of money. So if you don't want to spend a lot of money on your divorce, the first thing you do is you gather the information yourself. Even if you get one piece of paper from every account that you have and you put it, copy it and put it in a box somewhere and save it till you need it, at least then you can track where the stuff was. So that's very helpful when clients can kind of do their own investigative work and then bring it to the lawyer in some organized fashion. Now, what happens if someone calls your office and says, um, my husband is just filing for divorce, I got locked out of the home, 
I have no access to funds. I don't even know how to access the funds. They're completely iced out. What happens in a situation like that? Well, you would probably file him. First, you'd call the cops because he has no right to lock her out of the house. Second of all, you probably would go and uh, file an emergency petition for temporary support and for access to the house, uh, which you can get into court within the first couple days. For the first couple days, she'd be out of luck because there are notice requirements for everything. Mm-hmm. Do you have, uh, with UC indicated that there was an uh, increase in domestic violence um, calls, are you seeing more arguments over residences um, and access of those things that are happening right now? Oh, yeah. yeah there's a lot more um, fighting over who's going to be living in the house during the pendency of the divorce. Um, and both parties want it. And most of the time, uh, one of the parties wants to be in the house with the other party, which is uh, really, really difficult for the kids, um, especially if they know something's going on, so it, they're walking on eggs, and it's, it's hard. But on the other side of that, if there truly is no money, what option do they have? Very good point. Um, what, what about houses... Um, or, you know, in the uh, in years past, I know when I was a, a younger kid, it seemed like any time anyone's parents got divorced, the house was always sold. Um, what what are some things happening now? Are people still are you arguing over the sale of homes? Where in, a, in a no, they're owner? arguing about they're, they're arguing about Nick about who's going to pay the foreclosure fees and who's going to pay yeah. the arrearages and whether they so can do short sales. You know, I'll tell you, uh, I had, I've had to learn uh, a quick lesson in a lot of different areas that I wasn't familiar with before. Bankruptcy, foreclosure, short sales, all of these things are going on right now where we didn't have that problem before. People can't sell their houses, and they can't afford to stay in them. So they're fighting over who's going to get left with the cleanup fees. So Who's going to get left with the... Yeah. 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 So bankrupt. So bankruptcy. Do you have a? Let's ask this. Um, what's when a bankruptcy um, is is you know a potential thing? Let's say uh, both uh, both you know wife had a job, wife lost her job, no husband lost a job, and uh, they're going to call it quits. Um, bankrupt. Do, do you get involved with uh, bankruptcies and part of these dissolutions sometimes? Um, I refer the bankruptcy portion of it out to another lawyer, but a lot of times it, it, it plays a key factor because if one wants to go bankrupt and the other one doesn't, we have yeah. big problems. So if they don't file a joint bankruptcy, there's, we have to make sure that we've covered uh, how the debts are going to be paid and how uh, maintenance or child support, because maintenance and child support are not dischargeable in bankruptcy. However, property settlement is. So, so you have to be really careful if you're in a situation like that, that you, you do want to talk to a lawyer on how to cover yourself in case that's a possibility. So you can't, so you can't stop the other the spouse from filing for bankruptcy? You... No, you cannot. And you can end up with all of those debts, especially if they're joint cards. They're joint mm -hmm. credit card debt. They're going to come after the wife. If the husband goes BK, so you have to protect mm -hmm. her. Mm-hmm. Wow, a lot is uh, so a downturn economy certainly affects a lot of areas. Um, what about uh, what about you know since we're just talking about uh, you know economic circumstances, let's say uh, someone's got a potential or their job changes and there's a fluctuation in uh, child support. Um, are you seeing a large uh, in you know increase in the amount of child support cases? It's two part question. One, uh, you know, child support modification, and two, are the courts uh, trying to put the reins on the amount of cases that are, are modifying support. Um, you know, well, what, there's, a, there's a general there. rule under the statute that it has to be at least 20% less uh, than the guy made before, or at least two years. It's not actually in the statute, but that's the general rule that you don't go in before that unless there's a significant change in circumstances. Okay, so if the guy loses his job, he has an option. He can go into court and ask to abate his support, which means that it continues to accrue, but he doesn't have to pay it until he gets the job. Or he can go in and ask to reduce his support, 
or even terminate his support. But the judge is going to make um, the unemployed person pay a portion of their unemployment to the other spouse for support for the kids, if there's kids. Um, whether he'd have to pay it to the other spouse or not, that would be a maintenance issue. That's, so that's a separate issue. Mm-hmm. But if he, like I mean, time. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to yeah. ask if there was a length of time the person needs to be uh, off of work or temporary. You know, you know, what if they're only uh, out of work for it looks like a week or two weeks? Uh, is that well? Normally, they wouldn't go to court. If they think they're going to be employed right away, they usually don't go to court. It's only the the ones that are long term, or they just quit paying it because they lost their job and they don't know they're supposed to go to court. So then, next thing they get in the mail is they get a petition for contempt for not paying child support. And well, then right, off to the races. If, it, if it's automatically withheld, which a lot of support um, is it is it true that uh, to this you know to the extent that a lot of things are automatically withheld that people don't realize that the money's not going out to the the uh, recipient spouse. No, they know because they don't have their job anymore, so they know that they're not getting any support. And the state's um, attorney will enforce child support for anybody for free. It takes a really long time, though. <laughs> mhm. So all of we lawyers that do this kind of work, you know, we're necessary evils to the process, unfortunately. Well, how how does that with the with the state? Um, with the state collecting child support on um, on behalf of um, state agencies and such, um, do you necessarily need an, an attorney? Uh, you know, when do you really need a lawyer? When do you not need a lawyer on some of these issues? Okay. Well, first of all, if you have kids, if you have kids, you absolutely should be talking to a lawyer first, because there are some key things that need to be done if you are thinking that you want to be the residential parent in a joint custody situation or the sole parent the 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 residential parent in a cust- in a sole custody situation. So you need to talk to a lawyer if you're going to get divorced and you got kids. End of story. Second of all, the next time you need to talk to a lawyer, anytime there's domestic violence, you can go and get an order of protection. But if you want that order of protection to stay in place, you're best off to get a lawyer to help you to keep it in place. Because otherwise it's you against the other person if they show up and it may or may not be granted. The next time you need uh, a lawyer is if you're served with papers and you have no idea what they're about. Don't try to represent yourself until at least you find out what the story is. So you may not necessarily have to retain a lawyer, but at least you need to go find out what your rights are. I have a question about the orders of protection. You mentioned that... Uh, you know, anyone can, uh, you know, go and seek an order of protection without a lawyer, and you should always have a lawyer if you're served with petitions for order of protection. What are some of the far-reaching consequences of even a short-term order of protection that might be entered against you? Well, if you're a police officer, uh, it can affect your job. If you're a teacher, it can affect your job. Uh, it can affect um, your access to your children. It can affect your access to your home. It can affect your uh, ability to be able to move about freely where you want to move about. Um, so there, there are a lot of things that can be granted in an emergency order of protection, which lasts up to uh, seven days. And that can be ex- extended again up to two years. Now, what happens if the person who, try, who seeks an order of protection uh, lies or falsifies information or um, it's otherwise, you know, shouldn't have been validly uh, issued, but it did. Let's say someone, and I'm just throwing a hypothetical curveball at you here, but let's say someone, uh, the wife gets an order of protection against the husband uh, and it's an emergency and it looks like it's going to go away. Then it turns out that she wants to continue to enforce it and maybe he didn't defend himself right away because he thought, well, you know, it's just going to, you know, I don't want to make matters worse. So, you know, if the hypothetical situation is there that someone gets an order of protection against you and it's not otherwise valid, are there things you can do to wipe it clear so that's not on someone's record? Um, Well, you can obviously file a motion to vacate the order of protection and have a hearing on it so that it's dissolved. But in a lot of cases, people get an order of protection 
along with a battery charge, and they decide not to testify on the battery charge. And the order of protection then is used as sort of a tool throughout the whole divorce case, which is a shame. Well, and I've heard that, you know, people say, well, start the divorce off with an order of protection because then you'll get the house and you'll be in the driver's seat and you'll be in charge and you'll get all the money. I've heard people say that. And that's so wrong. You may get the the uh, the driver's seat in the short term, but in the long term, that's not necessarily so. It, the the courts um, initially grant orders of protection um, a little bit easier um, because there's only one side of the story being presented. But when you have both sides of the story then being presented, um, the judge, if he decides to vacate the order of protection, I honestly don't know, Nick, whether there's a way to expose that from your record. I've never tried that, to do it. Well, something that unfortunately may you know may happen more often than we'd like to to realize. But I uh, will let's pause for our second break, and then we'll be right back, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the other uh, areas that family law and domestic relations embraces other than uh, what we normally and traditionally think of. Again, for people just tuning in, you're listening to the Consumer's Law Journal on ALRPRA Law Talk Radio. The number to call in for callers is area code 917-889-9732, option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. That number again, 917-889-9732. If you want to get clients now, there's a seasoned attorney and marketing coach you need to talk to. Jim Thompson's program called Get Clients Now will help you take the crucial steps towards increasing your firm's revenues. The Get Clients Now program employs various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. Jim Thompson is going to be a recurring guest on the Lawyer's Toolbox, our Thursday show, regarding attorney marketing. Uh, to learn more about Jim Thompson and the Midwest Consulting Group, please visit MidwestConsultants.net and also check out his testimonials on Facebook by searching Get Clients Now. ALRPRA strongly endorses the Get Clients Now program and understands the personal accountability component of this course. Again, you can get in touch with Jim Thompson today by visiting MidwestConsultants.net. Now back to Attorney Laura Urbit kern in our discussion of uh, family law as it applies in uh, Illinois. And uh, as I make that uh, mention, uh, Laura, can you explain that uh, there are differences between state and state and why that's so important to uh, pay attention to? Uh, yeah, you know, every state has different laws, although they all cover the same areas. The way they implement them is very different from each other. Um, so it's really important that you consult a lawyer that practices in the state that you are um, looking to do your litigation in. Okay. Now, does it matter? Uh, we had a actually we had a caller uh, one of our shows a, a few weeks ago. We had a ask a lawyer anything, and we took callers' questions. And one of the questions uh, involved someone who had who was a support payer here in Illinois. And the wife, uh, Illinois was still the court of the jurisdiction, but the wife had um, moved across the border into Indiana and uh, had a new, a new live-in boyfriend. And they, the, the caller wanted to know about um, reducing child support and or maintenance because the new uh, live-in boyfriend was basically paying all the family's expenses, a high-income earner, so, so on and so forth. But he was across the border in Indiana and wasn't sure uh, whether he needed a lawyer in Indiana or a lawyer in Illinois. What are some things that people should know? Well, if wherever you got divorced, usually at the end of your divorce decree, it will say that the jurisdiction will remain in Illinois, the jurisdiction will be wherever the parties reside or something like that. We have statutes that cover that kind of stuff. If the gentleman wanted to litigate in Indiana, he could transfer the case to Indiana, have it registered in Indiana, and enforced in Indiana. But it would be Indiana law if that were to happen. Because it's in Illinois and it's in it, the situs of the, of the dad is still here, this is where it will be litigated. So he needs an Illinois lawyer. Got it. Um, all right, well, some of the other issues that involved family and domestic relation, um, I've got a, you know, sort of a list here. Um, you know, we'll go through and kind of identify some of these, but um, I'll ask you about adoption, uh, guardianship for minors, guardianship for the elderly, paternity, and uh, as well juvenile and DCFS work. So can you first tell us a little bit about adoption and how family law attorneys can help there? Well, you know, the, there's a, an act called the Adoption Act that is um, 
that applies and you need family law lawyers are usually very versed in the different aspects of adoption law, the types of consents that you need, the types of adoptions that can be had. And um, I think that it's important that when you think of a family law lawyer, you don't just think of divorce. So adoption is one of the happier things we do. Well, that's good. Now, uh, what about some of the guardianship uh, work in cases? What really is guardianship, and uh, what would you like to share with our audience about uh, the concept of guardianship? Well, there's two different types of guardianship. There's guardianship of a disabled uh, minor, and there's guardianship of a disabled... I'm sorry, there's three. Guardianship of a disabled adult, and there's a guardianship of uh, a minor, just plain old kids. And the types of situations where those come into play... Uh, where you may have two unwed parents and the grandparents want to put the child on the insurance. They may need a guardianship uh, or to enroll them in school. And there are different types of guardianship. They can be for short term. They can be for long term. As far as guardianship of the uh, disabled, that allows the parent or other interested party to be able to uh, take care of that disabled kid and uh, allocate the monies that are received from the state for their use. Same with the guardianship of an, uh, a disabled adult. In most cases, it's used um, in elderly people, although there are disabled younger people as well. But in most cases, it's where a mother or father has gotten so old that they're making bad decisions or no decisions. So someone needs to step in and help them with their personal decisions as well as their financial decisions. And sometimes in those kind of cases, any of those cases, you can have a separate person to make the decisions personally the personal decisions, like where they're going to live, and a different person deciding how much money is going to be spent. So sometimes families divide that uh, responsibility out. Okay. So with most of the guardianship, the, you said there's a separate guardianship act. Um, are there a lot of similarities that pour over from the Marriage and Dissolution of Marriage Act and the guardianship? Are there anything, you know, some? I could just, uh, as a quick statement, my I, my understanding is that the, the, the Marriage and Dissolution of Marriage Act, you know, is its own animal and it has its own uh, construction. So do the two uh, sort of complement each other? Or are they you know, quite different or what? In some ways they do and in some ways they don't. There's also the Paternity Act that plays into this whole thing. Okay. And uh, as an example, there's, you know, there's a, different, there's a different definition for a guardian ad litem in a guardianship case than there is in a divorce case than there is in okay. a juvenile case. So they're, they're, that's a big difference. Um, as far as the law is concerned, they are separate laws. And um, when we're talking about custody, we're usually in the family family domestic relations arena. And when we're talking about guardianship, we're over in the probate arena under the Guardianship Act. So they do cross over each other. I just had someone come in the other day with an interesting case. Two 16-year-olds had a baby, and the grandparents would like to raise the baby, but... The, one of the 16-year-olds is a ward of the state, but the baby isn't. So I actually have to do some research to try to figure out who needs guardian ad litems in this case because I have three minors and two adults. <laughs> do all three of them? <laughs> all three of them, I think, do. But I, I, that's, you know, I need to do a little more research because her being a ward of the state under DCFS adds other requirements on top of things. So... It's kind of, kind of sometimes you get these really convoluted things and the areas do cross over into each other. Okay, well, before we talk about some juvenile and DCFS, can you tell us a little bit more about fraternity? Um, what are the typical things that uh, face, uh, challenges that face someone in, in that area? Um, when, when do these cases come to you? What's a, a day in the life in a fraternity case all about? <laughs> okay, first of all, every single one of them is different. Sometimes the dads agree they are the dad, sometimes they don't. Sometimes the moms don't want the dads in the kid's life, sometimes the dad doesn't want to be in the kid's life. So every case is different. But the, the major thing is that, that no one has, the dads don't have any rights to see those kids until there is a judicial order of paternity and some kind of an order of visitation. So it's really important if a dad wants to be in a child's life to get into court and establish paternity. Now, a lot of dads don't do that because they don't want to pay child support because once that hits, 
support is is going to come, and the mom's going to ask. Can the mom ask for child support without the dad having any time? She can. The dad will still have to pay whether he sees the kid or not. But the mom can't prohibit the, the dad from seeing the kid. So there's a lot of issues in paternity court that just mostly have to do with trying to establish how that relationship is going to go. And a lot of times, you know, when they're younger kids like that, the grandparents are really the people raising the kids. And that can cause a lot of problems as well. Now, what happens when you have a situation where someone says, you know, um, you know, Bob is the dad, I know he's the dad, he uh, signed the birth certificate in the hospital, well, I don't know why I've got to go to court and get a paternity uh, order, uh, you know, I've got a birth certificate here. Is that good enough? I mean, do people believe that they have something that's, you know, equivalent? They do, but that's a falsehood because it's a, uh, it is uh, a presumptive form of paternity, meaning that once you go to court and you actually get an order establishing paternity, that birth certificate is going to, you're not going to have to do any more. That will be good enough. Now, unless mm-hmm. the mom says, well, I lied, and then maybe you want to do DNA tests. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do without a legal document, a... you don't have rights. Right. Now, okay, so let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the unfortunate world of DCFS and the juvenile system. Um, I guess is there any uh, a ray of light at all uh, that maybe the people are, are better off um, in the juvenile? I know my cousin works in juvenile uh, family law down in Peoria. I don't talk to her much about it, but um, what are some of the things that you've experienced there? Well, there's a lot of overflow, and juvenile court orders supersede domestic relations orders. So if a family is involved in both a divorce and a juvenile action at the same time, either through for DCFS or uh, through uh, uh, neglect or abuse, through uh, criminal actions on the part of the kid, whatever those orders are are going to supersede the divorce judge's orders until the juvenile orders are over with. Um, Also, the um, juvenile court in DCFS, has a lot of power. So you ask me whether I think it's good for families to go through? Absolutely not. But it's a necessary evil. And I think our DCFS is um, a very big bureaucracy, and they have, they are way over overwhelmed with the amount of work that they have to do, and they are way understaffed. Again, the economy. Mm-hmm. Same with the police departments. Over, understaffed. With these, with DCFS reports, um, do you see if someone comes to you um, with help with the DCFS report, are they looking for um, defense or are they helping for counseling and getting a DCFS report? Why would they call the lawyer? Uh, they would call the lawyer because either um, they were charged with neglect and abuse or abuse, or their ch- child is a subject of a ne- neglect or abuse case. They could be foster parents looking to get in um, on a case that they're, they're fostering the child on. It could be that someone wants to um, uh, appeal a neglect or abuse finding uh, in the administrative court. And it could be if they lose that appeal that they want to go to the circuit court and go all the way to the top to see if they can get the neglect or abuse finding erased from their record. How how long does that take? I mean, that's obviously it's something that um, is, is something that if you had a, a report against you, you'd want to attend to that and, and possibly get it uh, kicked out. Oh. How, is, how as, long? as soon how as long? you know, as soon as you know DCFS is in your life, you need to call a lawyer and find out what you should do. There are very specific things you should do. And, and the other thing about it is, too, that that DCFS is not the enemy here. People tend to look at DCFS and say they're here to take my kid away. Well, their stated purpose is to reunite families. So in the case I told you about before, I'm wondering what's going to happen when I try to get guardianship of that little baby for the grandparents. What's DCFS going to do about that? Because they have the ward in their care, and they're going to want to reunite families. That's her and the baby. So it's going to be interesting. But DCFS is supposed to be for the things that are bad and helping. And a lot of times they go way overboard. 
But you know what? They're stuck. They got a million rules. They got a million things they have to do, and they follow. They're supposed to follow the rules. These people I win are because they don't follow their own rules. So, um, any any advice, if uh, you know, other than call a lawyer, if you receive any contact from DCFS, um, do you have any advice that you, if someone suspects, let's say, someone you know makes an uh, indication, I'm going to report you to DCFS. I've seen neighbors in disputes before. Um, does that ever happen? What do you tell people in that event? That they've received a threat from someone, they're going to call DCFS. Yeah, if someone's threatening to call DCFS. And I would, t- I would tell them, I would tell them, you know what, do it. Call them, and uh, when they when DCFS calls you up, call me. All right, all right. Back back in a minute with Laura uh, Urbic Kern on Consumers uh, Law Journal on Law Talk Radio. By the way, callers, call in with a question if you'd like at area code nine one seven eight eight nine nine seven three two and option one to be placed in the queue. Again, nine one seven eight eight nine nine seven three two. Our third sponsor is credit damage expert George Finder. Did you know there's an expert out there who could put a dollar amount on credit damage? George Finder is one of the only credit damage experts in the country, and attorneys and plaintiffs who have retained his services have earned huge damage awards in various practice areas, such as personal injury, employment law, family, and general civil litigation. By learning to incorporate credit damage questions into the intake process, you and your staff will learn how to spot credit damage events worthy of retaining George Finder's credit damage analysis services. Right now, any of our listeners who call and contact George Finder and tell them that they heard about him on ALI or PRA Law Talk Radio will receive free of charge one hour of CLE presentation. Again, one hour of CLE presentation available to those who contact credit damage expert George Finder, indicating they heard about him on the show. Grab a pen and take down this email address to respond to the offer. It is creditdamageassociates at gmx.com. Again, creditdamageassociates at gmx.com. Available nationwide, Credit Damage Expert George Finder's website is full of resources. Please visit creditdamageexpert.com to learn more about George Finder and his expert services. Now back to Attorney Laura Urbit Kern on Consumers Law Journal on ALRPRA Law Talk Radio. Uh, Laura, we've been talking about some of the other uh, areas that domestic relations and family law attorneys help uh, people out there in the public, talking about ad- adoption, guardianship, paternity, juvenile. Um, what are, are there any other uh, issues or things that we haven't touched upon that you'd like to note? Uh, that's, that's pretty much the gamut. Mm-hmm. Um, now, moving forward in, in what people might expect if they are uh, getting into a situation where they know that uh, one party may file or they might file, what are some things that people can be, do to be proactive if they think they're facing a divorce situation? Well, the first thing I would do is uh, there's a number of ways to attack a divorce. The first is kitchen table uh, negotiation. Sit down across the table and try to negotiate your deal. If you can't do that, the next thing is mediation. You go to mediation with a mediator, preferably a family law mediator, who is also a family law attorney but also a mediator. The mediator helps the people to guide them to a settlement. If you can't do that, another option that you have is something called collaborative law, where people can uh, hire lawyers who are collaborative lawyers, and they never go to court. You do everything outside of court, and then you hire a lawyer at the end to just take you through the prove-up and ending process, which is uh, pretty small. And then last but not least, of course, is litigation. My advice for litigation is, first of all, don't do it. Second of all, if you have to do it, pick your battles. Decide what you really think is important because some of this stuff, is when you look back on it, you're going to be sorry you spent the money on it. Also, weigh how much you're getting with how much it's costing you. Those are all important things. Gathering documents is important. And, you know, trying to keep good records of what goes on. If your allegation is that your spouse never sees your children, that they're always gone, they're always in the bars, they're always this... Start keeping track of that stuff. Then you have some idea of what your defenses are going to be when he comes and says, I think we should have a 50-50 split. The issue isn't a 50-50 split. The issue is that you're in the bar every night and nobody's watching the kids. 
So you have to focus your clients on the issues. So I would tell anybody who's listening who has children that's going to get divorced, go get a book called Stop Fighting Over the Kids by Mike Mistrucci. He pays me no money. It's a fabulous book, and it will really, really help you. What's the title of the book again? Uh, Stop Fighting Over the Kids. All right, you can probably get that on Amazon. I'm sure, yeah, I know you can. I was looking for it today for a client. Okay. Um, but I have a couple other uh, questions for our time sure. remaining, uh, things that have come up over time. One of them is, um, I think you touched on managing expectations already. I was going to ask you, uh, uh, you know, what your efforts are there on managing your expectations. Maybe you can just, uh, you know, as far as managing expectations of the attorney-client relationship, um, any key points there? Well, I would tell you this. If you're going to hire a lawyer, number one, you better like the lawyer. If you don't like their personality when you walk in the door, walk right out. It won't. It will not be a good relationship. Number two, your lawyer should assure you that they will return your call or someone from their office will return your call within 24 hours. No excuses. The least something someone can do is call and say, I'm sorry, lawyer's on trial today. Is there something I can pass on to her that she can get back to you tomorrow morning? Everyone should expect that. When you're paying the kind of money that you are, anywhere between 150 and $500 an hour, and that's what divorce lawyers charge throughout the state, you better be getting at least a phone call back. A lot of people are afraid to call their lawyers because they don't want to get billed. I always tell my clients, look, if you're one of those people that's very anxious about things, you send me as many emails as you want, or better yet, keep all your ideas on a piece of paper. Set up a conference call. I will talk to you every Tuesday at 3 o'clock about everything on your list. Send it to me ahead of time. That will shorten up my preparation time. And you can save a lot of money that way. I tell clients I don't want to talk to them. If they want to send me an email and they think it's important, they need to say, Laura, call me. Otherwise, it's going in the file. And at the time that I need to read that stuff on that particular issue, I'll go read everything. Again, I mean, I read it when it comes in, obviously, but... It's not something that we have to address right now. And so don't waste your time, don't waste your money addressing an issue that we don't have to work on right this second. That's mm-hmm. my best advice. And be organized. Don't bring your lawyer a bag of papers. Organize yeah. the papers. Organize your bank statements. Put them in numer- uh, Put the statements for the 35 account with the 35 account. Don't mix them up with the other statements from the 67 account and make me try to figure out, you know, what, what's what. Plus, I'm charging you for that. The, yeah, keep the bills in order. Get your stuff together ahead of time. Because I can tell you, um, you know, from my own experience, personally working in family law firms, as a law clerk, I spent a lot of billable hours organizing people's bank statements and putting them in binders. And I have seen, <laughs> I've been there, when the client walks in and drops off a jewel bag full of bills and this and half the stuff's unopened and we don't know what's what and what goes with what. And believe me, you know, a lot of law firm time is spent uh, doing that. So those are good pieces of advice. My next question is what happens if uh, someone has what they think is a bad judgment or a bad order or their earlier attorney just screwed the thing up and they just have a hunch that People are saying, you know, you got a raw deal. What happens then? Well, first of all, property settlements are never um, changeable after the 30 days runs from your date of your judgment. You're done. Kids, maintenance, child support, those things are always uh, modifiable um, on a change of circumstances. So uh, the the thing that you're locked into is the property settlement. Now, you have a right to appeal, but it has to be you have to file your notice of appeal within 30 days of the entry of the judgment. So you better find out you got a raw deal pretty quick. Got it. Here's <laughs> another one. Um, what happens if you don't want your spouse's new significant other around the kids? Do you have rights to do that? Can you prevent that from happening? Well, here's the deal. Uh, it's still America. Everyone gets to see who they have. If the, if the significant other is harmful to the children, obviously you can go into court. If the significant, if you have something in your judgment, and a lot of judgments do con- contain language that says something like, uh, neither party shall have a significant other overnight on a conjugal basis while the children are present. In other words, sleeping in the same bed. So if you have that language, you can enforce it. If you don't have that language, if you're just going through a divorce right now and the kids are really 
you know, messed up because everybody's doing things different than they used to do them, and you're going to introduce a new person, that's really not good for the kids. And my best advice is if you think something is going, is bad and not good for your kids, look at it through their eyes. And if you look at it through their eyes, you may say in some cases, you know what, maybe that's not such a bad thing. A significant other can or cannot be a bad thing. During the first first six months or so, even year that you're going through the divorce, it's never a good thing. And a lot of people write into their agreement that they're not going to introduce a significant other until they have been dating that person for three months or six months or something. They put something in their agreement. So there's no way to prohibit it, but there is a way to limit it. That was a long answer to a short question. That's fine. I've got another one. Uh, How about this? Uh, I am thinking about getting married. I have a trust fund because I've done so well in life. And everyone's saying that the girl I'm going to marry is going to rake me over the coals. Um, what are some things I can do ahead of getting married? Well, you do two things. Number one, anything that you want to stay your own personal property, you leave it as your own personal property. You don't title, title it in the girl's name. You don't add marital money to it. You keep it completely isolated from any funds that you're using during your marriage, including paychecks, inheritances. Well, actually, an inheritance can go in there if it was only for you. But if it was to both of you, don't put it in the trust fund. Um, the other thing, obviously, is a, is a post-nuptial or a prenuptial agreement that you could uh, divide everything up and say how things are going to go in the event that either one of you dies or gets divorced. Mm-hmm. Are those? Do you do a lot of those? Are those uh, something that people are looking for these days? Uh, um, you know, not, not <laughs> since the economy got bad, not so much. But um, before, yeah, <laughs> I I used to do a a, a good. Uh, a good ten prenups a year, probably, which for me oh. is a lot. Yeah. Well, you know, we look forward to uh, people um, in, in an upswing economy. Uh, maybe not. You know, who knows? Maybe there'll be less uh, people getting divorced and more people living together happily. More people, you know, going through mediation. Um, and again, this is a closing thought. Um, you think that the mediation uh, is, is a good opportunity to maybe uh, rekindle and save the marriage? Well, you know what, sometimes it it does. I've done mediations where people have decided to go out for a cup of coffee and I never see them again, and they call me and tell me, guess what, we worked it out. And sometimes it's we worked out the marriage, and sometimes it's we worked out the rest of our case, and thank you very much for your help. Yeah, I think. you've done a good job, then. Well, the more money you can keep in the family for those kids, the better off they're going to be. Like I said, there's plenty of people getting divorced. There will always be work for divorce lawyers. Exactly. Go ahead. I was just going to say that you know it doesn't it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to become an annuity. You don't have to become somebody that every time they see you in the courthouse they go, oh my God, here comes them again. You got to figure out a way to work it out. You brought the kids into the world. Figure out how to deal with them as parents. All right, Laura. How do people get a hold of you? Uh, well, I, my website is www.lauracurn.com. My office number is area code 630-993-1230. All right, great. Laura, thank you for being on the show today. All right, thanks so much, Nick. All right, we'd also like to thank our listeners for tuning into the Consumer Law Journal on ALR PRA Law Talk Radio. We'd also like to thank today's sponsors. Number one, the Intellectual Property Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Two, Jim Thompson of Midwest Consulting Group. And three, credit damages expert George Finder. Again, this is a general information program. The advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Results may vary based on your specific set of facts and location, and you're encouraged to privately consult a professional and should be advised that the laws vary from state to state as they could apply to comments made on this show. Comments made to callers by attorney and professional guests do not constitute a Kearney attorney-client or other professional relationships. All callers do remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. Again, ALRPRA Law Talk's radio mission is to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences the tips, tools, and practice area information they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers, as well as we all navigate the always evolving practice of law. With guests and listeners located nationwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. 
ALICRA's underlying values are transparency, flexibility, and humility. We are a full-service law practice management agency available nationwide, and professional quality matters to your firm. Thank you again, and please tune in next week for the next episode of The Lawyer's Toolbox. And don't forget to check out the Consumer's Law Journal program next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Again, this is Nick Augustine for ALRPRA Incorporated, and we thank you for your time. Nick?